and welcome to County Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Oldfather, NYSAC Communications Manager, and I'm joined today by the NYSAC Legislative Team to talk about the recently enacted state budget and what it will mean for counties moving forward. This year's budget was unique in several ways. It was the first state budget passed by our new governor, Kathy Hochul, and it was passed at a time when many New Yorkers are feeling the effects of high inflation and global instability, yet the economic forecasts for state revenue are as bullish as they've ever been. Here to help break it all down, we have Ryan Gregoire, Legislative Director, Dave Lucas, Director of Finance and Intergovernmental Affairs, Pat Cummings, NYSAC Council, and Alex Lamont, Legislative Policy Coordinator. Thanks everyone for joining the conversation today. First, I'll kick it to Ryan uh, for your overall impressions of this year's budget, which was Governor Kathy Hochul's first. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having us here. This is a great podcast, a great opportunity to highlight some of the positive developments from this year's budget uh, with the NYSAC family, with the county members. Overall, I have to say that Governor Hochul made a commitment to the NYSAC family, to NYSAC and the counties, county leaders, to reform the way state government operates and how the state government interacts with counties and other local governments. And I say this because and we'll talk more about this in detail, but Governor Hochul eliminated the two diversions of sales tax that her predecessor had put in place over the last few years. That was our top priority going into budget negotiations. This is a significant win for counties, resulting in collectively $110 million being returned to the county sales tax and the county uh, funds to be able to use to spend on your local programs. Really important development out of this budget. There's a lot of other great items. We'll talk about those in a minute. But overall, Tom, this was, as our executive director, Stephen Aquario, so eloquently pointed, a home run for counties. It was also unique in the amount of reserve revenue that it set aside. Dave, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that aspect of the budget? Yeah, I could I'll talk a little bit about it, but we don't really know the bottom line right now of how much is going to go into reserves. Um, initially, the governor had proposed um, looking at about, there was a $40 billion surplus over four years. That's the amount of money that they were projecting uh, at the start of the budget negotiations. And the governor wanted to put about half of that into reserves to get to about an $18 billion amount. Um, right now, reserves are pretty small, two to three billion. All we really know for sure right now is that they did add about five billion to their current reserve levels. So they should be up around eight or nine billion for the what they put in at the end of the last um, state fiscal year, which ended in March a couple of weeks ago. Going forward, it's kind of hard to tell how much is going to be available for reserves because they did add a lot of spending to the budget. Uh, they added 10 billion alone in the healthcare area on top of the 10 billion the governor added. Um, so it's hard to tell right now how much is going to be in the reserve accounts. They will have to do an update to the financial plan shortly at some point in the near future, and we'll look at that again. But I think her goal of getting half of that available for reserves is probably not going to be achieved based on the amount of spending that occurred. As usual, NYSAC laid out our top budget priorities for this year early in the budget process, 
And this year at the top of the list, we had our campaign to keep local taxes local by ending the diversion of local sales tax for AIM and for a distressed healthcare facilities. Brian, you touched on this a little bit a second ago, but the, how did counties fare on the AIM diversion question? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. We started this process back in August when Governor Hochul assumed her new position. We provided her with a transition report. And as you just said, our top two asks were ending the diversions of sales tax for the AIM program and for the distressed hospital funding pool. As a reminder for our listeners, the AIM program was a $59.1 million diversion and that's been going on for three years now. 846 towns, 479 villages started receiving their AIM payments from county sales tax. This was a change in law from a prior budget. This enacted budget, state fiscal year 23 budget, ends that diversion from the county sales tax and it restores it back to the state general fund. This effectively means that the scheduled diversion for May 2022 for villages will still occur, but after that period, that $59.1 million diversion is, it ends for all counties. This was a huge win for us. We were happy to see the governor include this in the budget. The legislature included it in their one house budgets. The second diversion of local distress hospital funding pool was a little bit uh, harder of a lift for counties. And by that, I mean, the governor did not include this fix in her budget. The one house budgets both had some tweaks to the program. The Senate fully rejected the diversion. The assembly had a modification. And at the end of the day, this enacted budget actually ended the diversion of county sales tax to support these financially distressed facilities. A new part RR in the health and mental hygiene <clears throat> bill continues this distressed provider relief fund for three years to support the facilities through the state by collecting a portion of sales tax from the city of New York, 150 million, which is down from 200 million. But for the other 57 counties, this diversion also ends. As I said earlier, this collectively comes out to be $110 million return of revenue back to counties. Really significant development, Tom. I'm frankly, I'm a little surprised that we were able to get this win. Uh, but without the support of our county leaders, talking to their state legislators, engaging with Governor Hochul, this would not have been possible. So we have to really give credit to the state legislature, to the governor for making this happen. And this is um, a very important process going forward, engaging with them early on. It created victories for us. And I'm happy and pleased to report that the diversion of sales tax is done. It's over with. Huge win. One of our other top priorities this year was to increase funding for the local health departments who have been fighting the pandemic on the front lines for over two years now. Alex, what kind of funding were counties advocating for and what did the final budget include? Thank you for the question, Tom. So as we've all seen over the past two years, our local health departments are really at the forefront of all public health issues and they serve as the first line of defense against all new and ongoing public health crises. 
For several years, we have been asking New York State to increase core public health funding for local health departments, which is known as Article 6 state aid. In this year's state budget, the governor and legislature agreed to increase Article 6 base grant funding for the first time in at least 10 years. The budget also makes fringe an eligible expense for Article 6 reimbursement, subject to a 50% fringe rate cap. This means that counties can seek reimbursement for fringe benefits for the first time since 2011. So in total, the Article 6 aid increase is equal to roughly $26 million, and this funding is going to go a long way towards keeping our local health departments staffed with the staff they need to respond to public health threats and help them to respond to a new and emerging public health issues. Alex, for somebody who might not be familiar with the issue, why is the issue of fringe benefits so important to uh, local health departments and their efforts to get the staff they need? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, as anybody who's ever managed any sort of agency or business knows, your staff costs are a big portion of your budget. And that's true for counties and our local health departments. Staff are really important to fulfilling the mission of the local health department, but they also come at a cost. And so for us to be able to perform the functions that are so important to protecting the health of our communities, like lead poisoning prevention activities, education about communicable disease control, we need to make sure that we have the personnel who are trained and ready to do this work. And local health departments over the past decade or more have had a really hard time recruiting and retaining the staff they need to do this work. So including reimbursement for fringe benefits in the budget will help local health departments to hire the staff they need to fill vacancies and to do the important public health work that they're charged with doing under state law and under the state constitution. An issue that arose relatively late in this year's budget process was the suspension of state and local gas taxes. Now this became an issue as leaders sought ways to alleviate the pain from rising prices at the pump. But Dave, the process for delivering savings to consumers is a little complicated. Uh, can you give us a basic rundown of what the budget allowed the state and counties to do? Sure, thanks, Tom. I'll bring it up. It, it was a late add to the budget, and it um, became more important uh, after certain conditions changed on the ground uh, globally. The I'm going to talk a little bit about what they did. I'm going to defer to Patrick on um, the actual local law process and what's going to be necessary there. So what the state did is they have multiple taxes they apply in a gallon of gas themselves. And these are all static gas uh, of taxes. They don't change based on the price of fuel. It's one set tax. So they've repealed two other taxes, which amount to 16 cents per gallon. So that will be show up as a savings to consumers, uh, hopefully at the end of the day, because the price of the fuel will drop by 16 cents per gallon. The state is estimating this is worth about 585 million in savings for tax for consumers. Uh, this will be in effect from June 1st through the end of 2022. So th that's what they did. What they also did is they allowed counties an option to reduce the local sales tax on gasoline in each county, depending on how they want to do it. And you could set it at uh, your tax rate times $2, $3, or $4 per gallon. So basically $0.08, cents, $0.12, cents, or $0.16 cents per gallon for a county with a 4% sales tax. Um, <clears throat> there are some timing issues related to this because you have to give notification to the tax department. Um, and if you wanted to do this for the June 1st quarter, 
which is the sales tax quarter, the beginning of the sales tax quarter for the state, you would really have to act very quickly and have this all wrapped up by the end of April, pretty much in order to hit the June 1st date. But I'm gonna to defer to Patrick to talk a little bit about the local process for actually doing this, passing a local law or resolution as necessary. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it, it, the, the the process here under the law, it allows for, um, it clearly states that, that uh, a municipality can pass either uh, they can lock in this gas rate with either a resolution or with a local law. And, and uh, now, so that gives some flexibility to counties on, on what they wanna choose. And procedurally this matters because a local law can take a bit longer. Um, uh, even just, just the, the local law itself would need to sit on a legislator or, or board member's desk for seven days uh, before it's passed um, and it can't be amended. Um, if so, it starts that process over again. So a county may want to look at a potentially a resolution which can be done um, in much quicker process, um, sometimes even within days uh, of, of and, and can be amended during um, the public meeting. However, um, uh, do want to caution this and, and we spoke uh, with tax and finance on this to, to get clarification. Um, this, as Dave mentioned before, this, this, this law has existed um, uh, and, and counties have had this ability already for years. Uh, and the reason that matters is a county may have already addressed this or a similar issue through local law. Um, if a county has done that, um, it, it typically, and we believe in this case as well, to amend a local law uh, takes a local law. Uh, you can't do that by resolution. So if your county has not yet addressed this issue and or has passed resolutions on this in the past, a resolution can be used. If a county has used a local law, um, again, I, I defer to your county attorney, but I would caution and look into potentially you're gonna be stuck with using a local law um, to, pass the, to, to pass or amend this for your county. Uh, we also got the question in on um, with this local law uh, would this make it permanent? Would this lock us in at this rate? Um, the answer to that is no. Again, with a local law, you can always amend that. Uh, you can uh, repeal it completely through through a, a new local law. You can also put in a sunset date specifically within your resolution or your local law saying this ends at date X. Um, tax and finance has counseled and, and they, I think they will continue to do so that you should, that end date needs to happen at the end of a quarter. That can't be um, uh, at, at some random date. It's, it's much like you have to adopt it per quarter. Uh, it needs to end in quarter X. Um, but uh, I, again, I, I, would, I would look up to see if you have a resolution or a local law on this in the past. Uh, State Department of Tax and Finance has a list going back to the 1960s on anything sales tax related as far as your county is concerned with whatever you pass via resolution or local law. So if you're having trouble finding that, contact them and they can help locate that. Great. And staying with you, Pat, uh, for a moment, throughout yeah. the pandemic, um, counties have been permitted to hold public meetings remotely uh, and they've received that power through the executive orders. But this year's budget contained language to extend that authority. Can you explain a little bit about what we know so far about how this will impact counties? Yeah, it's a hot topic and one we get calls a lot about. Um, 
as we all know, listening to this, uh, we've had over the COVID pandemic, the ability counties to hold meetings virtually and, and uh, that both over the phone um, and uh, via Zoom or the internet. Uh, and many, if not uh, all counties took um, advantage of this uh, for, for health reasons uh, throughout the pandemic. This was at local option. And, uh, and, and counties had that ability. Counties continue to have that ability. It's tied to the governor's state of emergency. The state of emergency right now is suns it sunsets this Friday, um, tomorrow. Um, and now, if that continues, uh, if that gets extended, the governor's state of emergency, your ability to continue to, to have uh, virtual meetings in the manner that you did all throughout COVID will continue. On top of that, the new law that, that Tom just mentioned, no matter if this sunset, the state of emergency sunsets on Friday or not, uh, you will continue for 60 days, 60 days from the date that the, the budget was signed on April 9th, 60 days continue the manner by which you could opt in the COVID policies of a meeting virtually or over the phone um, with your, your board legislature and the public. However, after those 60 days are up and assuming the state of emergency is over, you will, the old rules will go back in many ways. You will, um, you will have, it, it'll be public meetings in person again with this one change. So you can, um, and you can do this within your 60 day stretch um, or, or any time after, COVID or no COVID, state of emergency, you can have the option um, the county body can opt to pass a local law resolution allowing for some ability to have uh, virtual meetings. Virtual meetings will change by definition. No longer will you be able to use the phone as a county. It will have to be uh, via Zoom, via YouTube. It will need to be live streamed. Um, it, notice will need to go on your website uh, and you'll need to have, um, if you go with this option, you will need a place to put this on your website uh, prominently and keep it there for five years, these meetings. Um, you'll, you'll need to put notification to the public. Um, and then one of the biggest changes is if you go with this option, it will no longer be allowed for the entire body. You would still need to have a physical location and at least a quorum. And however your county defines a quorum, some counties, uh, depending if you have a charter or not, might define that differently. But the vast, vast majority of you, quorum means 51% or more are present. So you'll have a physical location, even if you opt into this, at least half of your legislature will need to be present. Um, so then who would be allowed to, if you took this option to be, to, to be via Zoom or YouTube, um, it would be any legislator and they'd need to have um, a, it, it wouldn't be for any reason. It would have to be for uh, certain specific reasons and, and um, how they're characterizing. Um, I think the term they use is it's, it's like, a, it's basically an extremely good reason. And, and they give a list. It's, it's not an exhausted list. It's examples of what you could, what could be a reason such as your, as, as the legislator is disabled. Um, they've got uh, immediate childcare needs. Uh, they've got an illness that they, that, so therefore they, they should not or cannot attend. Um, if you go with that option, again, uh, that turns on 
all all the all the requirements to have the virtual meeting. You don't have to have a virtual meeting. You don't have to have a virtual meeting. You can go back to all the old rules if you opt out of this. Um, uh, this is only only if you opt in. There's one more piece I do want to mention, um, and I said this is this is kind of a post-COVID. Uh, there is a caveat to the quorum of, of you have to have a physical location, and that is if there's any state of emergency going forward. So, you know, whether it be, and that, that's both for state and local, uh, there's there's flooding issues, whatever there is, if, if it's not safe to have that meeting, you can opt to have uh, in a state of emergency, a, a, a full uh, virtual meeting. Thanks, Pat. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, the budget did include some key victories on an issue near and dear to many of our rural members, and that's broadband development. Ryan, could you tell us a little bit about what the budget did to help connect more New Yorkers to this vital utility? Thanks, Tom. It's a great question. It's an issue that our members, particularly in the North Country and the Catskill Park, have been working on for a number of years with us here at NYSAC. Pleased to tell everyone that the enacted budget repeals the DOT right-of-way fee for all projects. This has been a top NYSAC priority for a number of years. And in addition to that, Governor Hochul has proposed a new broadband initiative in her executive budget, which was called the Connect All program. The enacted budget includes new legislation called the Working to Implement Reliable and Equitable Deployment of Broadband Act, or Hired Broadband Act. This bill, included in the budget, establishes a new division of broadband access which will deploy a series of connect all grant programs to New Yorkers and counties will be eligible for a portion of these funds. The total investment for broadband initiatives is $1.45 billion, which includes 300 million for the connect all grant program and another 1.15 billion in federal funds. I just wanna highlight a couple of these different grant programs for our members today. The one that's most important for counties is the Connect All Municipal Assistance Program. This, pro this grant program will provide local governments funding to plan and construct the infrastructure necessary to provide broadband services, support the adoption of broadband services or other purposes to maximize the effectiveness of municipal broadband programs. New projects must provide reliable internet speeds of at least 100 megabytes per second download and 20 megabytes per second upload. But there are not restrictions on the type of technology, which was another key victory that we saw. A lot of our rural areas, Tom, may not be able to do fixed fiber to the home they might be looking at doing a wireless solution, fixed wireless on a utility pole, and there's other emerging technologies. And actually one of the grant programs, uh, it's called the Connect All Innovation Grant Program, will help foster private sector development of these new technologies. So stay tuned for this. Again, it's a massive new investment, one and a half billion dollars, including $300 million from the state general fund, this was a great victory for counties. We should be able to see an expansion of broadband services, particularly like you mentioned in our rural areas. So turning to the environment, 
the budget was a bit of a mixed bag for counties. Uh, Alex, what were some of the victories in the budget and what will counties continue pushing for in the rest of the session? So in keeping with New York State's record of environmental leadership, there's a lot of great funding and legislation in this year's state budget. That includes $400 million for the EPF, the Environmental Protection Fund, which is a record level of funding. There's also $500 million for the Clean Water Infrastructure Act, which is funding we look for every year to support local water quality and remediation projects. What I really wanna to highlight today is the Clean Water, Clean Air and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act, which was previously called the Restore Mother Nature Bond Act. This proposal was originally funded at $3 billion and the governor and legislature and their one house budget proposals proposed increasing it to as much as $6 billion. They ultimately landed on $4.2 billion in the enacted budget, which is roughly a billion dollars more than what was approved in the previous year's state budget. And this legislation is worth noting for a couple of reasons. First, under the state constitution, any direct borrowing by the state needs to be approved by voters. So many advocacy groups and coalitions that support the Bond Act will be advocating to have it approved by voters in November, 2020. This is something you'll wanna be aware of and perhaps consider supporting as a county. If it is approved by voters in November, it will be the first bond act, environmental bond act rather, that New York State has had since 1996, so nearly 30 years. The second reason why this really matters is because virtually every county and municipality is going to benefit from funding in the Bond Act. You can use this funding for purposes like restoring habitats and reducing flood risk, improving water quality and the resiliency of infrastructure, protecting open space, investing in recreational infrastructure, mitigating climate change, and dozens of other projects that help to preserve and protect the environment. So we wanna thank the governor and legislature for including the Bond Act in the enacted budget. And we also wanna encourage our members to educate the public about this proposal that will be on the ballot in November and consider supporting it themselves. On the other hand, there were a couple of things we were looking for in the enacted budget that didn't make it in there. One of those proposals was EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility for Paper and Packaging. This proposal would have reduced costs to counties and municipalities related to recycling paper products. Um, however, it was not included in the enacted budget because an agreement wasn't reached between the three parties on what we want this EPR program to look like. However, there is a chance that this could be passed outside of the budget. So we will be working closely with the Senate, Assembly and Governor to try to get this passed. Similarly, there was a proposal to ban PFAS, which are these dangerous water contaminants that we know are harmful to human health um, in certain packaging that was not included in the enacted budget. But as is the case with EPR, this is something that can be done outside of budget and we'll be working closely with the legislature and the governor to try to get legislation passed that would protect the health of the public from these dangerous water contaminants. Last year, state legislators passed a bill creating an opioid settlement fund to ensure that damages awarded from litigation against the opioid industry are used to combat the opioid epidemic, and also created an opioid settlement board which will make recommendations on how $1.5 billion in opioid settlement funds should be spent. Dave, there was a lot of haggling over this issue in the budget process. Can you give our listeners and viewers a rundown of what ended up in the final agreement and what's changed? 
Well, as far as we can tell right now, not a lot has changed from what they enacted last year. They did establish the opioid settlement fund in law last summer. Um, and there was an agreement to do a chapter amendment, but then governors switched. And at near the end of March, uh, they finally passed that chapter amendment. And it was something we thought was consistent with uh, the reforms they were proposing before. Didn't really impact uh, the, the shares or the funds going to counties or how the counties could use those funds. So what they did do though, is they did set up an appropriation of a couple hundred million dollars to receive the opioid settlement funds when they come in. Those payments are gonna start occurring quickly now. Um, they are spread out over multiple years, really over decades, depending on which settlement you're referring to. So what they did is they set up the $200 million fund and they kind of sub-allocated about $60 million that will be available for local governments, including counties and, and providers of substance abuse services across the board that will be dispersed regionally by this um, board overseeing you know what's the appropriate use of the funds in response to the opioid crisis there's a lot of different things that the funds could be used for the board is supposed to provide guidance um, to the state officials on what they think is the best way to utilize these funds to address the opioid crisis depending on how it affects each region in the state different regions have different issues they have different uh, goals and objectives in this area so um, it is pretty expansive on the uses. So that's really what they kind of did is they set up the mechanism for bringing the money into the state budget and then dispersing it out. I think the underlying agreements between the legal settlement and what was drafted in state law and enacted and then amended earlier this year, that is all the same as we thought it was going to be. I don't know if Ryan wants to add a little bit more about some of the objectives or types of services that could be this could be utilized for. Yeah, sure, Dave. So uh, as David mentioned, the state legislature really created the appropriation authority to receive the funds and then suballocate them out. During negotiations with the parties, both the opioid manufacturers and the litigants and counties, there was a settlement agreement which included a variety of ways that you can spend this money on. Some of those include programs to help with substance abuse and to assist individuals to get back on their feet. There are opportunities where counties can spend this money to increase opioid education awareness programs, drug take back days, Narcan administration and trainings for, uh, for their communities. So there's a lot of different ways that this money can be used for. And as Dave mentioned, we expect to start seeing some of those payments heading towards counties uh, within just a matter of weeks. Great, uh, as, we, as we near the end of our time uh, here today, we'll touch on an issue that's really important to a lot of our members and important to NISAC, uh, and that's veterans. Uh, we previously this year launched an initiative called Operation Greenlight to try to raise awareness about some of the issues facing veterans as they returned from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, 
Ryan, could you talk a little bit about what was included in the state budget? There's some significant victories for veterans and the county veteran service offices who support them in communities across our state. So can you tell us a little bit about what is in there for veterans? Sure, Tom. And, you know, Operation Greenlight could not have come at a better time. November, when we celebrate Veterans Day, is right in the middle of executive budget development. We partnered with the state of New York. We partnered with Governor Hochul's team to take a look at how we fund and support our county veteran service officers. To the governor's credit in her budget, she included an increase in base aid for counties from $10,000 to $25,000 and expanded the Joseph P. Dwyer program to a complete statewide program budgeted at $7.7 million. This is a significant increase in funding. We have not seen this kind of an investment in local county veteran service officers in many years. So this, this was a partnership between NISAC and the county veteran service officers and the division of veteran services. Although there's going to be a new department of veteran services. And I just wanna highlight that for our listeners because this new department, which was included in the enacted budget will help streamline the process and the coordination of connecting our vets to the benefits that they're entitled to. Most of those are federal benefits. But I don't know, Pat, if you have anything else you wanted to add on this topic, uh, but certainly, Tom, this is a huge win for counties. Yeah, I want to, um, you know, first, thank Ryan, too. I mean, he's being modest. It was it was a huge effort by, by Steve, by the communications team, but Ryan really took... Uh, Bull by the horns on on this really important issue to, to help make change. We haven't we haven't seen these kind of changes in, in um, laws that will help uh, and support that will help veterans in, in decades. So it, we're it, and and even some of it it might not be the biggest uh, money amounts that that we've had for wins when you start comparing to other programs um, across the board. Because we we did get a lot of wins this year, but you're gonna see actual real change and, and great things happen from, especially if you're not familiar with the jo Joseph Dwyer program, because it wasn't statewide before. Um, it's really a no brainer to make this statewide. And I think you should, as, as a legislator or a county leader, um, look into this and, and, and understand what it is. It's a peer to peer program where, where with this funding, uh, veterans can get trained and uh, on, on how to help each other. And so you, uh, as, a, as a veteran coming, coming back into New York, um, you can get paired up with uh, another, uh, another veteran that, that can understand what you're going through. And you can call in any time if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're feeling depressed um, to, or just need to reach out and talk to someone to, to, and, and have, have help getting through any issue you're, you're getting through. Um, it's a, been a proven program uh, in the, in the counties that have adopted it. And we're, we're really excited to see this go, uh, statewide and, and without the pushes that, uh, you all did and NISAC did to make this happen. I, I don't think it would have happened this year. So, um, really, really happy to see that in here. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Um, before we go, finally, to wrap up, are there any final thoughts or a preview of what counties will be looking for in the remainder of the legislation that we haven't already touched on? Yeah, so Tom, um, Alex had highlighted some environmental priorities that we'll be pushing for towards the end of session. 
We have 19 days left, if you think about it. The legislature has a little bit of a shortened post-budget session period this year due to primary elections primarily, but we have a, several priorities that we're still going to be advocating for for counties. So I encourage everyone, keep your eye out uh, for the post-budget legislative program. It'll be on our website, nysac.org slash advocacy. And I encourage everyone, stay in touch. Uh, keep paying attention to the communications team as they push out alerts. And we'll keep everyone informed of developments here as we race towards the June end of session. So thanks, Tom. I did want to just mention that for everyone today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget, this was just a, an overview of what was in the budget. You can read much more detail about all the things in the budget that impact counties by visiting nysac.org slash nysbudget and clicking on the link to our, our state budget county impact report. That's got a breakdown of by issue area of all the many, many ways in which this state budget impacts local governments. So once again, thanks to the team for joining us today. And thanks everybody for listening. listening to this episode of County Conversations, brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. We hope that you will continue to enjoy these county government-focused conversations, so make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.